0: Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, host of the number one podcast for patient advocacy, helping you empower yourself for better health. This week, we bring you an amazing episode with guest Dr. Amber Robbins. And just a little backstory on why we got this guest for you guys today. A lot of you always ask me to question the importance of media and healthcare. And you always want to know, you know, who could we trust? Like, who should we trust? I know a lot of you bring up Dr. Oz, a lot of you bring up different websites that I'm constantly having to answer yay or nay for. So I figure, you know, what better way to kind of bring uh, this marriage and relationship together than to bring you a physician who is also in the thick of things doing, like, again, I call her like a mini Dr. Oz. Like, she's she's really her own lane, but I think she's kind of getting there. Uh, Dr. Abra Robbins is a board-certified family physician. She currently practices in Arlington, Virginia. She is a best-selling author, a physician, a journalist, and the co-founder of Women in White Coats Blog. And I tell you because we have a lot of people who do it. We have a lot of people who are in the thicket things associated with media. But not only did she graduate from the University of Rochester School of Medicine, and got her, uh, you know, family medicine degree from there. But she also went and completed a health and media fellowship at Georgetown University School of Medicine, slash PBS NewsHour. So again, this kind of signifies the importance in her, her relationship where she started pretty early as far as with healthcare, with media, and the importance of it. She has written for various media outlets, including PBS NewsHour, Huffington Post, ABC News, BlackDoctor.org. She's written in the journal Minority Medical Students in her own column entitled The Diary of a Medical Student and 40-Ounce Rock Magazine. She's done plenty of national segments uh, for PBS NewsHour in her local news station in Rochester, CBS. So again, we're we're not going to belabor you. First of all, I, I don't need to kind of quantify how important... Uh, this person is also don't need to quantify how much work she's done. Right. Because, again, it's, it's one thing to kind of have uh, these accolades. Right. But she puts the work behind it. So we're going to talk a lot about healthcare. We're going to talk a lot about media. We're going to talk a lot about, you know, who's you should trust, why you should trust it and what to do when you're really not sure if the information you're getting is valid. So, again, let's stick to for another amazing episode here with Dr. Amber Robbins in the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. This episode is brought to you by the Lunch or Learn Community Store where we are living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In the Lunch or Learn Community Store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, eBooks, as well as other related products by Dr. Barry. Head over to shop.drpiersblog.com and get a chance to get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Again, shop.drpiersblog.com. Live out the motto, empower yourself for better health. All right, again, thank you, Lunch and Learn community. Get ready for another amazing episode today. We have Dr. Amber Robbins, which I kind of talked about in introduction, and she, you know, she's gonna take us through her journey of how she got to where she's at, and most importantly, the role of media in healthcare, which I know a lot of you guys are in binds of, right? Like some of you love it, and some of you hate it, right? So I figure, again, you know, I know a little bit about a lot of things, right? But I figure let's bring the expert on when we're gonna talk about media, and obviously, uh, if you you know listen to the bio. This this is that. So again, Dr. Robbins, thank you for coming to uh, the Lunch and Learn podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited, and this is one of my favorite topics. So
0: I love it. 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 (laughs) So Dr. Robbins, so let's—I want to bring us back, right? Because I I definitely want us to get to kind of where you're at now. But can you talk about Dr. Robbins, the medical student, right? Because like I'm very interested in your journey. Again, I started blogging when I was in medical school for various reasons. Like I want to know what you were thinking about when you said, you know what, this is the route I eventually want to go, or or when that actually. Kind of occurred.
1: Yeah. So for me, I actually was trying to do something that was not medical, <laughs> believe it or not, because in medical school, you get so stressed out. You're around other stressed out people, all the students, you know, when test time comes. Oh, my goodness. I tried to run away from medical students. <laughs> um, so I wanted to do something different. And so really, I was going to one of my advisors in medical school. And I wasn't even thinking about writing. I wasn't thinking about blogging. I just was going to her office just to talk with. And on the way there, I saw on on her door or really next to her door, there was a magazine called the Journal for Minority Medical Students. And I was like, let me pick this up because it's talking to me. You know, I'm a minority. I'm a medical student. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know it existed. So I went and talked with my advisor, then left with the magazine, asked her if I could take it, of course, because, you know, I don't (laughs) want to ask her, "Where, where did you bring my magazine? So I asked her if I should take it and she said it was fine. And so then when I went through it, I noticed that they had a place there where they were looking for writers. And from there, I emailed the journal and asked them, hey, you know, I'm interested in just writing one piece. From there, I got on the phone with the editor and she said, well, I want you to write more than one piece. I want you to write a whole column. And wow. so that's how, I know, right? It was kind of random like that. And that was during my first year of medical school. So I just randomly kind of fell into it and said, hey, I just wanted to find something to do outside of the stressful, you know, going to class, taking a test, studying, you know, that routine. And then I also knew that I loved to write. I started writing when I was young and continued on in, in college. And I took enough classes. I was a biology major, but I took enough English classes where if I took one more, then I could have been an English Minor. so oh, wow. i okay. think- So I knew I wanted to use that outlet in a different way. And so that's really how it started. Just, you know, a lot of people wonder how things start really asking the question. Asking a question can lead to so many opportunities. And that's how it started for me. So I started writing in the Journal of Minority Medical Students in the Diary of a Medical Student, where I told my experiences as a student.
0: That's interesting, because I know a lot of my, my physician colleagues, writing is definitely not one of their things, right? It's, you know, we usually go the math and science route. We're pretty right. strong on that. But when it comes to writing, we really try to avoid as much as possible. So it's definitely very interesting that not only were you embracing it even before medicine, but while in medicine, you say, you know what, I still want to you know, pick up the pen and con- continue going.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know what? I find that a lot of doctors, a lot of people in healthcare do know how to write. We just lose it along the way. Mm. because you know when you're writing your note you don't write in complete sentences No, no
0: <laughs> you
1: just try to get the note done the essentials what you need for billing and then move on to the next thing and so I try to when I even talk to people who are interested in this I try to bring them back to like when you wrote your personal statement even though a lot of times you pull your hair out oh,
0: because man. it's so hard. Yes, the person oh. uh, she lunch you learn community she said uh, a bad word whenever you bring <laughs> a personal statement just usually bad memories come into it right and especially Especially as you know, as a program director, I read a lot of personal statements from potential residents, and of course, to get into medical school, it shudders at the at the topic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it brings you to <laughs> your spine. But you know what? You did it right, yes. and all of us do it. So we have the skill set. It's just really kind of getting into the routine of doing it over and over again. And the more you do something, just like the more you practice medicine, the easier it gets over time.
0: No, what's interesting, especially as a physician, not only because there's some people who embrace it, right? Like you know, I like to write, but you actually went and did a fellowship in that, right? Like, first of all, I didn't even know there were fellowships for it. So mm-hmm. I, I, you definitely have to enlighten us on that. And But what made you go that extra step?
1: Yeah. So I will step back into when I was in residency because that's really where it happened. So, of course, I continued to write during medical student, during re- medical school and then during residency. And then my program director and assistant program director tapped me and said, Hey, Amber, I think you could be on television. And I'm like, what? You don't see the bags mm. under my eyes? (laughs) I have no time, but they said, okay, this is something you can do. And so they had me start on local TV news. And then they actually had me set up to go to ABC news in New York. So I did a one month rotation there. And that's when I started thinking, Hey, I really like this. I really like writing scripts. I really like research and trying to figure out which study should be on television, which one would be good for that. And so during that rotation, I actually said, okay, I want to learn a little bit more about this or a lot more about this, and um, the way that I can focus in on that is by doing a fellowship. So I did a fellowship at Georgetown after I finished residency, and it was a one year fellowship where I worked with Georgetown. I worked. I still saw patients. I was an attending, a uh, supervising physician. So I had residents. I worked in outpatient and in mm-hmm. inpatient setting, and I also worked at PBS Newshour. So I worked there two days a week, and I was able to work with the producers. I was able to work with digital their online presence. Did different live streams was able to be on the national news so I was able to really learn and engross myself into what media media is and was even able to pitch a two-part series of a medical segment on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder so kind of wow. learning that whole thing it just got me excited media is a way for us to get to patients you know a lot of the patients who really need to come in they don't re- they don't come in or don't have access to medicine right, right. So it,
0: it, we- especially here at listening we you know we don't we don't always because we, we know some of y'all don't like to come see us which is is okay but we definitely understand some of us some a lot of people just don't have the ability Right. Yep. And I think she touched on it. a lot of a lot of us don't a lot of patients don't have the ability to come see a physician uh, when they want to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even hearing stories from people, our colleagues, some of them didn't grow up seeing doctors. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you may not have finances. It may mean you don't have finances. It may mean that you just don't go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. I can say times of my life where I just didn't go to the doctor just because life happens. Yep. So by putting my putting ourselves into media, medical, doctors into media where a lot of things can go haywire, as you have seen over the years, oh, you know, yes. it's, it's really a good way to get good medical information to patients. So when I kind of embraced all of that, I really said, OK, this is what I have to do. I want to figure out how to incorporate it into my day to day job as a family physician, as well as a medical expert and, you know, really a medical journalist.
0: Now, is this something that when, when you picked up that journal uh, in your advice, is this something that you kind of envision eventually? Because I know you were kind of surprised when they're like, hey, I think you should be on TV. But did, did you have an end goal or was this something more like an outlet at the time when you first started?
1: It was more of an outlet, I would say. And also, I am a big advocate when other people see your gifts, you have to say, okay, let me kind of check it out and see mm-hmm. because a lot of people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And I can say that a lot within my lifetime. So it was one of those things like I had a curiosity about it. I mean, I've done public speaking in the past. It w- it's nothing that is necessarily Super new to me, but actually going on as a doctor brings a whole nother complexity to it because you have to make sure that number one, you're representing medicine well, your colleagues well, you're giving good information. So it puts a little bit more pressure. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, no, I, I I like to be behind the scenes. A lot of people don't know that. I don't like to be on oh all the way on camera. Oh, wow. all okay. The all right. Believe it or not. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, so I had to get that, give that, well, someone had to give me that push. And so I just said, okay, let's do it.
0: Now, what do, what do you think about, especially, especially because you're, you're, you're on the scene, right? Like you're, you're, you, well, in fact, you're actually the scene. How does that translate? Like from, from a patient standpoint, right? Did you feel that patients looked at it as a, a positive or like negative, right? What, what was some of the patient reaction when they would see you also on TV, but now you're standing in front of an office? Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of my patients would say, oh, you're really similar to how you act on television. I try not to re- change myself that much. You know, my professional self, my outside of medicine self is kind of the same thing. I try to be approachable. But, you know, a lot of times I find being a minority doctor, a lot of my patients say, you know, I'm really glad that you're on television where you can show people that you can be a young female doctor and also be a minority. Um, yes. So it's really a part of mental mentoring people in a different way too. So a lot of my, a lot of my patients say, you know, thank you for doing that. Continue doing that. And you know, when can we see you on television next?
0: Now, now, I, I will tell you, especially especially in this day and age, right, where you have such such wide access to information that patients didn't have before, and you know now there's this you know there's almost this push and pull where in our our community some of us feel like patients have too much access, right? Like you know mm-hmm. they talk about WebMD, they talk about quote unquote Doctor Google, and you know and they you know, again they they sometimes have criticisms for uh, physicians like yourself, right, who are in media, right? You know yeah. the Doctor Oz's of the world, right? Like some sometimes they don't like what when they see physicians on, on media right like what's that balance like understanding like hey I'm a physician uh, you know I gotta you know bring health news but I'm also in the media as well because obviously there's a couple push pushes and pulls that may not align sometimes mm
1: mm-hmm. well I try to set myself in my own lane I, I, I do that because it, in medical school, I didn't do that. I tried to make myself into other people hmm. and or emulate other people. And that didn't work for me. So, it you know, I'm in my own lane. I don't compare myself to Dr. Oz or anyone else on television. I just try to do what I do and do the best that I can. And so the way that I really try to combat that is by giving good medical information. I don't try to hook a crook. I'm not trying to sell anything. If anything, I'm trying to sell you on having a healthy life. Yes. <laughs> a healthy life. (laughs) lifestyle. And the things that I, you know, the information I give, I always try to make it make sure it's backed by entity like the CDC or uh, the AAFP, you know, making sure that it's backed by a medical society or a medical group that is reputable. So by doing that, I mean, it's just a way to disseminate information. It's It's not about selling anyone on anything. I think a lot of people look at Uh, doctors on television like that that are trying to get something from you or get money from you. No, I just want to make sure, like I said, I want to make sure people are healthy. And if you if you know me or if you come in contact with me, whether on television, social media or whatever, I always try to bring my authentic self. And everybody doesn't necessarily everybody, just like anyone, won't necessarily like you, won't necessarily love you. But you will have people who will hear whatever you have to say. So my hope is that if one person gets what I what I'm saying, that's that's good enough.
0: I love it. And and I think that's so important uh, because uh, we all know, unfortunately, especially in this day and age, because information is so widely accessed, right? Sometimes, you know, I talked to a lot of physicians who feel that like, hey, I went, to, I went, I went through all this in medical school. I went to the amazing residency program. And, but still my patients would rather listen to uh, a video or rather read a blog on their medical advice before like coming to me. Right. And I, and I think honestly, I personally, I think that's where a lot of the criticisms for the, the, the quote unquote, Dr. Google, which is, a, which is a funny term in so I Google all the time.
1: Right, me too. <laughs> you know, it's helpful.
0: I, right, I know, it definitely is. And I, and I think for, for us as physicians, I think one of the biggest things I try to tell my patients is the internet's not a bad thing, right? Having access to this information is not a bad thing. Having you know people who really look like us, right, like yourself, right, is not a bad thing. We just got to know where to look. And, and I think sometimes that's where our patients get in trouble. They don't really know uh, where to look, right? Like again, you, you kind of mentioned AFP, you kind of mentioned CDC. They don't really know who are the reputable, you know, things to go after. So it's right. like when, whenever someone, you know, someone puts a camera on and says like, Hey, you know, I do do 20 jumping jacks and, you know, your cholesterol will go down and they just have to believe it because a lot of people happen to view that video. So right. I'm, de- I'm definitely uh, thankful for people like you who are able to kind of be in that light and, you know, really kind of direct the conversation because I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Now as a physician, do you ever, do you, do you, ever run into any strife, especially when you're, when you with your media partners and like saying, you know, I want to, I want to kind of talk about this and in this certain way. And they're like, mm, can we talk about it in a different way? Is, is there ever any push and pull in that regards or are usually kind of have more free reign, especially since you are the he- expert uh, when we're talking about healthcare.
1: Sure. So I'm just thinking about some times when I was working at PBS NewsHour, they would ask me if certain things were presented the right way. And I would give feedback on that because, you know, it's very hard. We went to school and we trained and all this to understand information, medical information. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes and not, I'm still scratching my head trying to figure it out. So I try to imagine someone who doesn't have that background. So usually... I have found that those in media are very, very, very open. Now, again, I've worked with the news mostly. So they always want to, for the most part, give you good information that's accurate. So they, you know, I've I've been with a lot of people, a lot of producers who say, can you read my scripts and make sure that when we have this or these words that the uh, anchor says, if this is correct. So I really haven't had much of an issue with that. If anything, they ask, where are more doctors like you who can talk to us about these things? Because the people in media, you assume that they also are health experts. They're not. They're journalists who have specialized or have um, learned more about health, but they don't necessarily know the nitty gritty of it. So they need help like that. So have I found some people who wanted to say certain things in a certain way for interviews and things? Yeah, and then I spin it around and say, "Well, actually, this is how I think we should talk about this, or let's take a, let's back up a little bit and talk more about whatever we're talking, whatever I think is important that patients should know." So there are tricks to the the trade too but on the on the back side on the producing side where you're writing scripts writing different medical segments things like that then yeah there are are great opportunities to really change
0: the narrative you know you know what's interesting especially from 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 a patient standpoint you know they 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 see you on tv right They they read your blogs right they do all these things here is there is there any way for them to know right because again i think it's easy for us to know when something may not be 100%, you know, as, as factual as it could be, right? And again, we're not saying yeah. that they're trying to do it intentional, but if I'm just a, you know, a general patient, you know, that doesn't really know, and I just hear you talking about high blood pressure, like, how do I know? Like, what, even what you're saying, yeah. Dr. Robbins is, is actually uh, correct.
1: Right, it's really hard to know. I I mean, I will admit that. And I think even he one of my my I guess another mission of mine is to make sure that we have good health literacy, meaning that from when you're a little kid all the way up to when you're, you know, one of the elders in our community, mm-hmm. that you have a good understanding of health. We don't have a good understanding of health at all outside of when you go to the doctor, and most healthy people only go once a year. So, it does make it really 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 hard to decipher if this you know, a, a lot of times if it sounds too good, yeah, it's too good to be true. And in medicine, you know, usually the ways to treat chronic, most chronic diseases is through good exercise, routine, as a, also as a, with a good diet. But they have a lot of things in there that try to make things a little easier for a patient. Some things can be healthy, other things aren't. So it is really hard to decipher through. That's why it's helpful if every person has their own doctor. And when they do hear those things, to go to your doctor, go to your health provider and say, hey, you know I'm thinking about doing such and such what do you think about this and then have a conversation so not just taking a broad brush and saying this whatever that thing is will work for everyone no you have to make sure that whatever it is so a lot of patients come about keto they talk to me about keto diet okay so we're gonna have a conversation about keto diet and see if this does fit you or if you're already having cholesterol issues I do not want you
0: to eat. Talk, 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 talk to the people in the back. Right? <laughs> I think uh, you know keto is very popular right now. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I love that. I love that you you say that. You know what? We're, we're not as literate as we need to be. And at the end of the day, you should be talking to your physicians, right? Like you, you should be talking to someone to kind of confirm, you know, what you want to do, and mm-hmm. have a have the coach, right? Because I, as a physician, that's really why we're here for, right? We're here to educate and you know guide our patients to, to prosperity, especially in health and. If, if they're not, you know, getting that secondary fallback, that's where the problems kind of arise.
1: Yeah, but I would say, and I'm sure a lot of your, your um, listeners probably would say as well, that a lot of people don't see doctors like that. A lot of people see doctors as, you know, that's my pill person. you go to refill my mm-hmm. medicine. And, you know, I am the in the, in the group where a uh, group of doctors and I'm saying, okay, no, yeah, we're doing this. We'll start you on a pill. But if it's for high blood pressure, how else are we going to deal with this issue? can we figure out if we can lose some weight? If we can lose some weight, you may not need a pill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of patients are afraid of us, frankly, because they just think of, oh, they're just going to tell me something that's wrong. And then they're going to add on a medicine and then they're going to add on another medicine. And people on going to the next patient and not listen to me. So a lot of it has to do with how we're perceived. And all people, all, all doctors aren't as welcoming as others, but you need to find someone who fits you. And yes. if that if that doctor doesn't fit you, find someone else. Cause again, we're coaches, you know, you want a coach who can who can inspire you to do better. We all need that.
0: And and you kind of alluded to it earlier about, you know, when when you're in the space that you're in, especially when you're doing media and the lack of Right. The lack of other, you know, colleagues who, you know, are trained to talk about health, but the producers look around and they can only they can't find anybody. Mm -hmm. Has that always been an issue? Is that something that's improving? Like, what is the state of that? Just the lack of, you know, health experts to really talk about health. Yeah, I, I
1: think it goes back even to what you were asking before. So a lot of medical doctors aren't really looked favorably on if they do media. I think it may be changing, though, because we have so much social media going on. So newer attendings, newer doctors are looking to do podcasts like yours and looking to do videos and write more. So I think there's a shift there, but it's still when you think about it within the academic medicine field, you know, the academic, the structure of academic medicine mm-hmm. is not the thing that you'd be like, yeah, I want to push all of my residents to do that. <laughs> you may, but everybody doesn't do that. So do I think there is more? Yeah, slightly, but that mindset is still there with within medicine that. Hey, that's not necessarily something we want to do. If patients want to get good information, they can just talk to us on a one-on-one basis.
0: Now, so speaking of one-on-one, I know you do. I know you do coaching, right? Like, and we will definitely talk about a few of those things there. But a part of your coaching is, you know, getting doctors, you know, ready for like media. Now, I'll be honest. Again, I, mm-hmm. I do a podcast, I do a blog. But if you tell me I got to go on TV, right? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Doctor Robbins. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm like that ready, right? So, like, is, is there a big step right especially when we we. I just assume they are because you're on TV national right like I assume like all these eyes are on you that you have to be a little bit more prepared than most Like, wh- what are some things you, you tell some of your coaching clients that want to kind of be where you're at right because they see that there's a void there they want to educate their patients they want to empower their patients with good health information but they feel like they can't
1: mm-hmm. by the way i Think you probably would do just well, just, just fine on television. I don't <laughs> think you would have any issues, but it's the mindset, right? It's the mindset thing. And even when someone tapped me and said, go on television, we think you'll be really good at it. I had to change my mindset and say, okay, let me step back and really see, could this be something that I'm good at? Or could this be another way? Even if I'm not good at it, it's true. You could be on television and still be dry and whatever, but get mm. really good information. And the point is they're getting information, right? Patients are getting information. So for me, that's the first thing when I coach medical doctors or people in healthcare to change that mindset and say, okay, I can do this. And then when you're going and preparing for television, honestly, talking to the... First, you want to talk to the person who's doing the interview. But just thinking that it's talking to another patient in the office. We do this every day. Every day. You can practice mm-hmm. talk, with talk patients every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, we do it every day. We talk to people every day. So you're perfecting that craft. And if you continue to do it, you can do it on television too. It may take one or two times, a couple times to get used to a camera being there. But honestly, once you get engrossed into the conversation, you forget everybody else around. It's someone asking you questions like, okay, well, Dr. Robbins, tell us about what's going on with the flu season this season. You know, are there more cases? Uh, I have patients who ask me that all the time. Like, should I get the flu shot? Oh yeah, you should get the flu shot because it helps because da 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 You know, we say these things all the time to our patients. So usually what happens is when you're on television, it's the same conversation. And the way to practice it is by practicing with your patients. And then when you see patients asking them to give you feedback on how did I do did you understand that you know can I change how I talk this way and when you you kind of go through that routine it makes it much easier
0: do you find some of your, your clients and, and I've I, when I've, I don't know I've talked to patients before like you know why do they rely on orders uh, other sources of media versus like just a regular physician and a lot of them they say well I find those other people a little bit more credible mm. do, you, do you find physicians especially the ones you work with almost feel like they're almost like an imposter where, when they're trying to do media? need in when they're really putting themselves out there to the public? Like, like, yeah, I'm I'm a board certified internist, family physician, cardio. I'm a board certified blank, but I'm not sure if I'm that good enough to be on TV talking about it. Do you ever find like that's an, an issue with some of your clients?
1: Yeah, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, I I had it, and sometimes I definitely still have it. Like, what, what am I doing here? I'm talking to this person. I like, but then you come with so much value, right? Because we've gone through a lot of training and for some people I'm in family medicine so I think about like my, my neurosurgery colleagues my gen, like a lot of training for years and years and years so you come with a different skill set and I can say on the media side talking to reporters and everything like that they are intimidated too because they're like okay I want to make sure yeah they are mm, want to okay. make sure that I'm asking the right questions I want to make sure that I know the right information because they have to do background research too before interviews to make sure they're asking the right thing at the right time and that they don't look dumb, honestly. Mm. And so it's always interesting that physicians do feel that way. I don't quite understand it actually. I don't know if it's something that's embedded in us to feel that way because of maybe, you know, with training, you get asked a whole bunch of questions and if you don't answer the question right, then you're a bad resident or you're a bad (laughs) medical student. So maybe that's a part of it. But honestly, you know, yes. So a lot of people do have that imposter syndrome, like what? What am I doing here? But the thing that I try to emphasize is that you know you're trying to do the same thing you're doing when you see patients. You're giving them good information. You're giving them information to make sure they're healthy. So, so yeah. Unfortunately, that I do. I mean, that's usually the first thing that we talk about. Is you know I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. I didn't either. The first the interview that I had was on dental health. Now you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am not. Hey, a let's <laughs> if y'all can see my face, when she's said dental. Oh, okay, all right.
1: I did dental health and. I am a family doctor talking about dental health now I know a lot but I don't know as much about necessarily you know I am not the expert on dental health a dentist is an expert on dental health Mm
0: -hmm. yeah they couldn't find a dentist so they had to ask you right that's that's usually
1: no I pitched the topic to talk about dental health So I definitely felt like I was an imposter. Who am I sitting here? And I was a resident. So then I'm like, oh, they Mm. couldn't get someone outside of training. But I sat there. I talked about it. And I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, I think anybody would say the same thing. Brush your teeth. (laughs) Make sure, you know, (laughs) make sure you floss. Make sure, you know, like simple things that we think are simple, but things that people need to be reminded about. So I was able to talk about that and I got over it. I said, you know what? Get over it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're going to learn from it. And then I got, I was able to get to where I am. And I'm still learning.
0: I love it. And, and especially kind of talking about kind of getting to where you're, I'm mean, like, because we're, we're talking about, you know, you being on TV, but from your resume, you're actually a, a quite an accomplished author as well. Right. And I, I know you kind of started out with the the writing, but, but what led you to, you know, and again, I'm going to read Lunch Community. I'm going to just read some of her books she's already written thus far. Right. And I said books with an S, right. The right prescription, women innovators, empower. Empowered Empower Now, Chronicles of Women in White Coats, Seven Things I Learned About Medical Writing. Like that's, that's an impressive resume for a, a family physician who is specializes in media. Again, with the, the the CV is pretty long for you right now. And I know you're just kind of getting started. Why books, right? What what about the, the writing kind of drew you into that in that, that world, right? Because again, I, I've got books here and there, but I'm like, whoa, she's she's definitely got, she's, she's got a couple of one-ups on me. So I definitely love to kind of hear uh, your, your thought process behind that.
1: Sure. I would say it comes from my mom because she always reminded me as I grew up, she said, Amber, you have a book in you. Now, I know this many books, but she (laughs) she said, Amber, you have a book in you. And just continue to live, continue your story, telling your story, and, you know, it'll really help people. So a lot of those books actually... All of them. The only one that isn't like this is the one about writing how to write. But all of them are about the experience of whether it be minorities, minority professionals, whether it be women who are in medicine. It really tells our stories. And so the reason why I got into that is because I talked to a lot of medical students, a lot of people who wanted to become doctor one day, and a lot of minorities who wanted to you know be a professional, whether they want to get a PhD or you know a doctorate. So they didn't see people like me. It kind of goes to the same thing. They didn't see people like us, mm-hmm. you know, they they, and I, when I was growing up, I really didn't have access to minority doctors like that. So what is a way that I can get to people and I, if I can't physically be there, how can I get to people to let them know, Hey, you can do this. You can, you can do whatever you put your mind to and here are the steps to do it. And so writing a book or books uh, was a way that I thought would be able to do that and get our word out and get our, get our stories out there. There are so many, so many wonderful people doing amazing things. And so I wanted to be able to compile that. The first book was the right prescription. So it was actually based off of what I wrote for the journal of minority medical students, so it was my experience as a first-year medical student. Mm-hmm. I put some scriptures in there. I put an area where you can journal in there, and that I did that during my intern year when I was working on the ICU.
0: Love it. She so- said ICU too. So for those who who are not in the know, uh, ICU is probably going to be one of your toughest rotations. Mm-hmm wherever you're at, right? It's probably one of the more the demanding ones. And, you know, she still put a book out while doing that. So I definitely got to give her props uh, Mm -hmm. on top of everything else she's done.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's because it's a hard rotation. It's a lot of stuff that goes on in the intensive care unit. You know, you see some good things happen, but you see a lot of bad things happen. So another thing was, it was an outlet for me. I was able to also talk to a lot of my attendings. One of my attendings during that rotation was actually in his 30s and he was coming back from leave because he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And he inspired me by saying, Amber, if you want to do anything, don't wait until, you know, 10, 20 years from now, do it now because you don't know what life has in store for you uh, later on down the road. But if you have time now, which again, I'm like, how do we have time in residency? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We don't. Um, But he was like, anything that you dream of, anything you want to do, do it. He also inspired me um, to get my MBA, which was crazy as well. Um, But I did that in residency. <laughs> uh, and I still was able to have time to do other stuff, but, but you know, it's just kind of like live for today. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But if you try to live the best life that you can today, you know, at least you can say, yeah, I did what I wanted to do. And in residency, you do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. So this is what <laughs> I
0: did. I, that I, 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 to. I can tell you, as a program director, I do make my residents do a lot of stuff that they, uh, I know they hate me for, but they'll love me for it in like five to 10 years. But now they're like. Oh. <laughs> All
1: right again more work. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I know those feelings. <laughs> but we come back for more every day.
0: <laughs> yes. As a as a physician who is really doing all of these things, right? And I say a lot because I'm I'm comparing you to the, the general physician. Should, should patients really The the demand, you know, more, right? Like, should they require more? Like what, as as far as should you, could you just be a a clinical physician who doesn't really put themselves out there, who just kind of goes in, clocks in, clocks out and, but versus the physician who writes, who does some video, who does some blogging, who does, you know, again, may, maybe not have to be national TV, but just some type of way to continue to educate. Should should patients gravitate to that physician more? Like, what do, what do you feel? Right? Because obviously you're on that side where you you are that person doing right. it. And if I'm a patient, right, again, uh, you've done enough to establish your credibility, right? You've done enough to say, you know what, she's got to be much smarter than my my, my person over here. Because clearly, look at all the stuff she's doing. Because Unfortunately, that's how patients are feeling these days right if you're mm-hmm. if you're not out there doing extra you, where you went to residency doesn't matter where you went to medical school doesn't matter it's like when I google search you like do you pop up like, should, should patients demand more out of their physicians
1: I think the answer is you go to whoever you naturally connect with I can have you can be a doctor who does all this stuff and then I come into your office and you don't pay attention to me mm well, what will that do? That's not going to do anything for me other than saying, oh, I went to the doctor, but I don't have a personal connection with the person who it really has my life in their hands. Yes. So I don't necessarily think that it's mandatory. I do think that on the doctor's side, and I'm actually working on something for doctors specifically for this, that we would be able to have that because I am aware, especially with millennials, that they do try to Google everyone, try to look them up. And then they start telling you like stuff you did. I'm like, wait a minute, it. <laughs> this is our first time meeting. Like, why do you know where I was mm-hmm. born? Uh. Oh
0: yes, I think I think I remember I did outpatient medicine, and by the time a patient would walk into my office, they had already read a blog, watched a video. They they had already knew much more about me than clearly I knew about them. All I knew was what right. they wrote on the. the 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 paper, mm-hmm. their, their intake form, but they were like, "Oh, hey, yeah, great, great smile. You got this, you got that. I loved your blog on marijuana. You know, because I did, I did a, I did a, no, I did a video on marijuana. No, I did, no, I did a blog on marijuana. It's like so they would already know uh, because I feel like again, you know, again, you know, the quote unquote bad word, Doctor Google. If a patient sees like, oh, Dr. Barry Pierre is my PCP, like I got to see who Barry Pierre actually is." Mm-hmm. And I think more patients are doing that. And, and I, honestly, I feel like that's putting more onus on physicians to have to do more if you want to stand out.
1: Right. And that's what—that's exactly why I'm trying to work on something specifically for doctors because of that. Being able to put yourself out there, whether it be social media or doing blogging or videos or what, whatnot or local news, it's important that you're able to represent yourself well, especially because patients can also write different comments about their experiences of you and everything that it's important to have a balance of all that together. And it's also important for you to connect with patients. That's another, again, it comes back to how you connect with patients, how you give medical information. Mm-hmm. And if someone is able to connect with you through video, or they're able to connect with you through a blog, they're like, oh, I really think that this might be the right doctor for me. So it, it, it's helpful in that, sp- in that space as well. I do it. I honestly do it. I When I look for doctors, I look and see. okay, let me see if I can figure out where, first, I look at where they go to school, but I think that's just because that's just where. And mm. then, <laughs> then, I, then I think about, okay, what is their background? Will they be able to connect with me? You know, will I be able to have candid conversations with them? Are they relatable? You know, are they the, my kind of person? People look for that. I mean, you think about that when you look for, I mean, any type, because we do give a service, but if you think about any type of service where you have to relate with people, you think about that. You look for that. You look for those things. So it's, the, I think it's natural. I think it's just the way that people think now.
0: I love it. I love it. And, you know, obviously before, you know, before we let you go, I want to know, uh, like, how can someone who, first of all, two, so I got two couple audiences, right? So the just general patient, right? The general patient mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe, because I'm not, we're, we got, from where you're at like how can I get in touch with you know Dr. Roberts right like how how can I be a patient of this person who I feel like oh this might be the connection I'm looking for to get my health in order
1: oh yeah I lo- you know I love that um so I'm practicing in the Washington D.C. area so you can find me that way I'm actually well do you want me to talk about practice too i'm accepting patients so feel <laughs> free to come on over um i'll be at one medical group at union station so i'm happy to see you and see your family i love family medicine and being able to see the whole family unit and of course you can find me my website is amber and you can find me on facebook and instagram at dr amber for Robbins. So, you know, I'm always excited to connect with people and I'm also, also excited about mentoring people. As you can probably tell, the mm-hmm. reason why I do this is so that I can connect to little girls, you know, little boys just like me who may be interested in being in medicine and inspiring them to do it. And medical students too. I've been talking to a lot of them this week because of Match oh, Week. Oh yes, Match Week. And prayers, my prayers are for everyone. I hope that everyone does well and for the people who do not match, you know, God has a way of working things out for you. So, but yes, so that's how you can connect
0: Now, if I'm a, you know, if I'm one of those scared physicians who still kind of suffer from the the imposter syndrome, regardless yes. of all of these uh, degrees and everything kind of hanging up on my wall, like, uh, like what can you do for me? And again, is, is Amber Robbins, MD, is that the same way? Is that how do I get in touch with you? Is that the yeah. same?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I also coach people one-on-one and then I'm coming out with a course specifically for a group because I think, you know, group, you don't feel as nervous because you can talk to other people and see that other people are going through similar things and we transform together uh, and we collaborate and grow together. So I'll be coming up with a course that will come out really soon. So just keep a lookout for that.
0: Oh, most definitely will. And again, for those who may be listening on the run at work, um, all of the the links with everything she kind of talked about will definitely be in the show notes uh, as well. So, you know, please, you know, you won't have to worry about writing it down now. We'll definitely make sure. Uh, you get access to it. Before you leave, I got to ask one last question, right? Like how can what you do, right? And uh, the model of the show is empower yourself for better health, right? And of course you help empower us through media, right? So how can, you know, what, what you do empower others to really take better control of this, just their health in general?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say, keep it simple. Get a good exercise routine. The hope is that you can exercise moderate exercise, meaning walking, dancing, having fun, 150 minutes a week. And then also making sure you're having a good diet, getting a lot of vegetables. Vegetables are good. Fruits are good, too. But really keeping it simple. Medicine, it can be simple if you do those things. And mm-hmm. so I always encourage people just to, you know, just think of it. It's not simple to incorporate it sometimes in your day to day. But I just try to get 10,000 10, steps a day. My Fitbit reminds me. <laughs> I try. That's the thing. I try. But keep trying every day. I think if you keep that at the forefront of your mind that you're trying and go to your doctor, talk with us, we'll, we'll help you.
0: I love it. So again, lunch community, uh, you know, Dr. Roberts uh, was gracious to, you know, kind of spend time with us and really educate us on the importance of, you know, keeping it simple, the importance of how media uh, can really help benefit like our, our health, right? It, it's not a deterrent. Despite all of us. you know, all, all of the critiques I read on blogs, you know, it's it's not a bad thing, you know, to, to be in, to follow media and allow media to kind of help guide us uh, because there are plenty of, and I know the bad sources usually get the most publicity, Uh, but there is much more positive sources, much more, uh, you know, great, you know, avenues to kind of learn about your disease course uh, than there is a negative. So uh, again, Dr. Robbs, I want to thank you for uh, joining here on the let Learn with the whole community here.
1: Thank you. It's been great, Dr. Berry. Thank you for inviting me on. And yeah, this has been a great conversation.
0: Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of the Lunch with Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening. If you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is and if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes always head over to lunchlearnpod.com that is lunchlearnpod all in one word.com and you can get the access to the show notes for every single episode but especially especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed Bye.